Chapter One of the Case of Jenny Brace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Case of Jenny Brace by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter One. We've just had another flood. Bad enough, but only a foot or two of water on the first floor. Yesterday we got the mud shoveled out of the cellar and found Peter, the spaniel that Mr. Ladley left when he went away. The flood and the fact that it was Mr. Ladley's dog whose body was found, half buried in the basement fruit closet, brought back to me the strange events of the other flood five years ago, when the water reached more than halfway to the second story, and brought with it, to some, mystery and sudden death, and to me, the worst case of shingles I have ever seen. My name is Pittman, in this narrative, and it's not really Pittman, but that does well enough. I belong to an old Pittsburgh family. I was born on Penn Avenue, when that was the best part of town, and I lived, until I was fifteen, very close to what is now the Pittsburgh Club. It was a dwelling then. I've forgotten who lived there. I was a girl in seventy-seven, during the railroad riots, and I recall our driving in the family carriage over to one of the Allegheny Hills, and seeing the yards burning, and the great noise of shooting from across the river. It was the next year that I ran away from school to marry Mr. Pittman, and have not known my family since. We were never reconciled, although I came back to Pittsburgh after twenty years of wandering. Mr. Pittman was dead. The old city called me, and I came. I had a hundred dollars or so, and I took a house in Lower Allegheny, where, because they're partly inundated every spring, rents are cheap and I kept boarders. My house was always orderly and clean, and although the neighborhood had a bad name, a good many theatrical people stopped with me. Five minutes across the bridge, and they were in a theater district. Allegheny at that time, I believe, was still an independent city, but since then it has allied itself with Pittsburgh. It is now the north side. I was glad to get back. I worked hard, but I made my rent and my living, and a little over. Now and then, on summer evenings, I went to one of the parks, and sitting on the bench, watched the children playing around, and looked at my sister's house, close for the summer. It is a very large house. Her butler once had his wife boarding with me, a nice little woman. It is curious to recall that, at that time, five years ago, I had never seen my niece, Lida Harvey, and then to think that only the day before yesterday she came in her automobile as far as she dared, and then sat there, waving to me, while the police patrol brought across in a skiff a basket of provisions she had sent me. I wonder what she would have thought had she known that the elderly woman in a calico wrapper, with an old overcoat over it, and a pair of rubber boots, was her full aunt. The flood and the sight of Lida brought back the case of Jenny Bryce, for even then— Lida and Mr. Howell were interested in each other. This is April. The flood of 1907 was earlier in March. It had been a long, hard winter, with ice gorges in all the upper valley. Then in early March there came a thaw. The gorges broke up and began to come down, filling the rivers with crushing, grinding ice. There are three rivers at Pittsburgh, the Allegheny and the Monongahela, uniting there at the point to form the Ohio and all three were covered with broken ice, logs, and all sorts of debris from the upper valleys. 
A warning was sent out from the weather bureau, and I got my carpets ready to lift that morning. That was on the 4th of March, a Sunday. Mr. Ladley and his wife, Jenny Bryce, had a parlor bedroom and a room behind it. Mrs. Ladley, or Miss Bryce, as she preferred to be known, had a small part at a local theater that kept a permanent company. Her husband was in that business, too, but he had nothing to do. It was the wife who paid the bills, and a lot of quarreling they did about it. I knocked at the door at ten o'clock, and Mr. Ladley opened it. He was a short man, rather stout and getting bold, and he always had a cigarette. Even yet, the parlor carpet smells of them. "'What do you want?' he asked sharply, holding the door open about an inch. "'The water's coming up very fast, Mr. Ladley,' I said. "'It's up to the swinging shelf in the cellar now. I'll have to take up the carpet and move the piano.' "'Come back in an hour or so,' he snapped, and tried to close the door. "'But I'd got my toe in the crack. "'I'll have to have the piano moved, Mr. Ladley,' I said. "'You'd better put off what you're doing.' I thought he was probably writing. He spent most of the day writing, using the washstand as a desk, and it kept me busy with oxalic acid, taking ink spots out of the splasher and the towels. He was writing a play and talked a lot about the Schuberts having promised to star him in it when it was finished. Hell, he said, and turning, spoke to somebody in the room. We can go into the back room, I heard him say, and he closed the door. When he opened it again, the room was empty. I called in Terry, the Irishman who does odd jobs for me now and then, and we both got to work at the tacks in the carpet, Terry working by the window and I by the door into the back parlor, which the Ladleys used as a bedroom. That was how I happened to hear what I afterward told the police. Someone, a man, but not Mr. Ladley, was talking. Mrs. Ladley broke in. "'I won't do it,' she said flatly. Why should I help him? He doesn't help me. He loafs here all day, smoking and sleeping, and sits up all night, drinking and keeping me awake. The voice went on again, as if in reply to this, and I heard a rattle of glasses, as if they were pouring drinks. They always had whiskey, even when they were behind with their board. That's all very well, Mrs. Ladley said. I could always hear her, she having a theatrical sort of voice, one that carries. "'But what about the frying she-devil that runs the house?' "'Hush! For God's sake!' broke in Mr. Ladley, and after that they spoke in whispers. Even with my ear against the panel, I could not catch a word. The man came just then to move the piano, and by the time they had taken it and the furniture upstairs, the water was over the kitchen floor, and creeping forward into the hall. I had never seen the river come up so fast.' By noon the yard was full of floating ice, and at three that afternoon the police skiff was on the front street, and I was wading around in rubber boots, taking the pictures off the walls. I was too busy to see who the Ladley's visitor was, and he had gone when I remembered him again. The Ladley's took the second-story front, which was empty, and Mr. Reynolds, who was in the silk department in a store across the river, had the room just behind. I put up a coal stove in the back room next to the bathroom and managed to cook the dinner there. I was washing up the dishes when Mr. Reynolds came in. As it was Sunday, he was in his slippers and he had a colored supplement of a morning paper in his hand. "'What's the matter with the Ladleys?' he asked. 
I can't read for the quarreling. Booze, probably, I said. When you've lived in the flood district as long as I have, Mr. Reynolds, you know that the rising of the river is a signal for every man in the vicinity to stop work and get full. The fuller the river, the fuller the male population. Then this flood will likely make them drink themselves to death, he said. It's a lulu. It's a neighborhood's annual debauch. The women are busy keeping the babies from getting drowned in the cellars, or they'd get full too. I hope since it's come this far it will come further, so the landlord will have to paper the parlor. That was at three o'clock. At four, Mr. Ladley went down the stairs, and I heard him getting into a skiff in the lower hall. There were boats going back and forth all the time, carrying crowds of curious people, and taking the flood sufferers to the corner grocery, where they were lowering groceries in a basket on a rope from an upper window. I had been making tea when I heard Mr. Ladley go out. I fixed a tray with a cup of it and some crackers, and took it to their door. I had never liked Mrs. Ladley, but it was chilly in the house with the gas shut off, and the lower floor full of ice water, and it is hard enough to keep boarders in the flood district. She did not answer to my knock, so I opened the door and went in. She was at the window, looking after him, and the brown valise that figured in the case later was open on the floor. Over the foot of the bed was the black and white dress with a red collar. When I spoke to her, she turned around quickly. She was a tall woman, about twenty-eight, with very white teeth and yellow hair, which she parted a little to one side and drew down over her ears. She had a sullen face and large well-shaped hands, with her nails long and very pointed. "'The she-devil has brought you some tea,' I said. "'Where shall she put it?' "'She-devil?' she repeated, raising her eyebrows. "'It's a very thoughtful she-devil. Who called you that?' But with the sight of the valleys and the fear that they might be leaving, I thought it best not to quarrel. She had left the window, and going to her dressing-table had picked up her nail-file. "'Never mind,' I said. "'I hope you're not going away. These floods don't last, and they're a benefit. Plenty of the people around here rely on them every year to wash out their cellars.' "'No, I'm not going away,' she replied lazily. "'I'm taking that dress to Miss Hope at the theatre. "'She's going to wear it in Charlie's aunt next week. "'She hasn't half enough of a wardrobe to play leads in stock. "'Look at this thumbnail, broken to the quick.' "'If I had only looked to see which sum it was, "'but I was putting the tea tray on the washstand "'and moving Mr. Ladley's papers to find room for it.' Peter the Spaniel begged for a lump of sugar, and I gave it to him. "'Where's Mr. Ladley?' I asked. "'Gone out to see the river?' "'I hope he'll be careful. There's a drowning or two every year in these floods.' "'Then I hope he won't,' she said calmly. "'Do you know what I was doing when you came in? I was looking after his boat and hoping it had a hole in it.' "'You won't feel that way tomorrow, Mrs. Ladley,' I protested, shocked." You're just nervous and put out. Most men have their ugly times. Many a time I wish Mr. Pittman was gone, until he went. Then I'd have given a good bit to have him back again. She was standing in front of the dresser, fixing her hair over her ears. She turned and looked at me over her shoulder. Probably Mr. Pittman was a man, she said. My husband is a fiend, a devil. 
Well, a good many women have said that to me at different times, but just let me say such a thing to them, or repeat their own words to them the next day, and they would fly at me in a fury. So I said nothing, and put the cream into her tea. I never saw her again. End of chapter 1